Math, motherfucker. Welcome back to Lyrics for Lunch, the show where we're definitely not in Kansas anymore. I'm your <laughs> I'm your host, journalist and former music writer Lindsay Tucker. I'm Aviv Rubenstein. I'm your co-host, and I, I I just have to say, Lindsay and I, right before we started, were discussing how we would do the intro, and she's like, "Do you have a good one?" And I was like, "No." And now I kind of wish that I had because that one was amazing. <laughs> So why do you wish you had one? Uh, to compete with how amazing <laughs> that was. I'm Aviv Rubenstein. I am a songwriter, a screenplay writer, a director, a podcast host, and a person who learns about songs from Lindsay. Ha ha! How are you doing this week, Lindsay? I'm doing better than you, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. I don't have a cookie, but um, I have a everything cookie. with me is going great. How about you? Good. Tell us. Oh, you know, stressy, depressy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's your baseline. That is my baseline. So today, Lindsay is going to do her best to cheer me up by telling me the story of the lighthearted <laughs> song. Africa. Africa by Toto. I'm here to talk about some dumb white people. Great. As, as opposed to what we usually <laughs> talk about. Right. Um, so today we're, we're going to talk about white people talking about Africa. We are. Uh, what do you know about the song Africa? What do you remember about it? What do I remember about the song Africa by Toto? It is an 80s song. It is pretty cheeseball. It's by the band Toto. And the chorus goes, I bless the rains down in Africa, which like doesn't make sense and feels a little bit. I don't even know if it's like cultural appropriation. It just seems it's it seems like it is saying something that is like factually inaccurate, but from like a white person. I'm I'm assuming he's British, maybe. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I know very little about it and have given it very little thought because it is like a cheesy '80s song. He is not British. Well, <laughs> see you next week, everyone. Uh, we'll talk about the blessing of the rains uh, later, but um. Africa was written by Toto members David Page and Jeff Percaro, neither of them British. You're telling me a guy named David Page is not British? Page. P-A-I-C-H. Page? Yeah. Well, okay. So it appeared on Toto's fourth studio album, Toto 4. <laughs> okay. What, Didn't we have Blues like a- Traveler album 4? Yeah. Um, Toto- be like Toto Lee? <laughs> so- you know it from college. I don't know if I, I don't know if I heard it before. Like, kind of the the kitsch nostalgia eighties thing came back in like the late mid to late two thousands. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But we did have, you know, it was like for me, it was never Africa. It was like Bohemian Rhapsody and like the Final Countdown and. Rock you like a hurricane, but I never really like latched on to Africa. I always thought it was kind of a silly song. Mm. It is silly. I liked it. 
you know, it has that catchy chorus. It has the silly um, keyboard. Mm-hmm. I don't not like silly songs, but this one just like, ne- I, I can't place why it didn't connect with me. It just like didn't connect with me. Yeah, that happens. Toto 4 was released April 8th, 1982 by Columbia Records. Toto 4 was a hit, which is what the band needed, because after initial success in 1978 with their self-titled debut, the next two albums kind of flopped. What was the, like, what was their first big hit? Because I only know Africa. I only remember Rosanna being their first big hit, but that was on Toto 4, so let's find out. Right. So, like, but because it's like the, the, they had success with their first al- album and then kind of the second two flopped. Is oh, what Hold the Line. Oh, Hold the Line is good. Yeah, it is. I love yeah, Hold, hold the, the Line. Yeah, Hold the Line's really good, actually. I actually completely forgot that was them. Because I, I, it doesn't sound like Africa at all. It's <laughs> yeah. like a rock song. Um, yeah, Hold the Line slaps. Yeah. They had that big album with Hold the Line, and then their next two albums were like, meh, meh, and uh, guitarist Steve <laughs> Lukather told Billboard, Total 4 was a do-or-die record for us. The label even came out and said, if you guys don't pull one off on this, it's over. That's the end of your contract. That makes total sense, especially like if you have a first huge record, the label will likely sign you to three more. And so like, like sight unseen or whatever. And so the fact that two and three were kind of met met, as you say, <laughs> they're like, well, you're about to fucking lose your lose your deal, man. Yeah. But those Wiley Kaitotos pulled it off. Wiley Kaitotos? <laughs> yeah. Do you have that written down? Uh, no. Okay. That was that was off the cuff. That was improv. Yeah. Good job. Dumb. V- extremely dumb, but great. <laughs> we have to have fun with this, Jesus, Aviv. I don't like fun. I know. I like the rains down in Africa. <laughs> All right. So, let off by the first single, Rosanna. The album ultimately said Rosanna. Sent- <laughs> Rosanna. Written about Rosanna Arquette. Creepy. Hmm. Tell us more about that. That's it. They wrote it about Rosanna Arquette because she was hot at the time, I guess. I mean, she's hot now, but like. How old was she? uh, That's a good question. So Rosanna Arquette uh, was born in 1959. And so this song came out when? 83. Oh, so she's like 24. 82. 82. She's like 23. Okay. That album ultimately sent four songs to the U.S. Top 40 on its way to six Grammy wins, including Oof. Album of the Year, and more than 12 million in worldwide sales. So do you think that that's why they called it four? Because they, like, they were going to have four number one hits on this song, on this yes, album? Yes, because they were, um, what's it called? Time Travelers? <laughs> Time Travelers? No, the, the Teen Raiden thing. Oh, uh, the pre-echo, whatever it's fucking yeah. called. Yeah. Um, According to Rolling Stone, Africa hit number one in February of 1983, replacing Men at Work's Ode to Australia, Down Under. Fucking love that song, too. This is the only time in pop history two continents slugged it out for number one. (laughs) What a weird stat. And this was right after the band Asia's eponymous album was the best-selling album of 1982. But it's not spelled Asia like the continent. It's spelled A-J-A, right? No. Oh, no. Who had an, a record called Asia that was spelled A-J-A? Was it Toto? Wasn't it Steely Dan? I think it is Steely Dan, actually. <laughs> what a fucking mess this, this episode is already. <laughs> I, I have like a real black spot for like 80s prog rock. 
All right. Paige said he wrote the lyrics and the chorus for Africa in just 10 minutes. It shows. It's widely reported that he said, I sang the chorus out as you hear it. It was like God channeling it. I thought, I'm talented, but not that talented. Something just happened here. Okay. Okay. Let's unpack this for a second. <laughs> so we talked We talked a couple episodes ago about how like the, the creative muse, right? And like ideas are just waiting for someone to birth them or whatever. Yeah. Um, I I have I definitely have felt kind of this channeled inspiration that he's talking about, but like also a lot of times, and I think we mentioned this the other day too, like you just sing gibberish, pleasant sounding syllables until something starts to make sense, and part of it is like kind of channeling your unconscious to see what you actually want to talk about or whatever. But like it seems like he just like started saying pleasant sounding syllables and then stopped at I blessed the rains down in Africa, which like doesn't ultimately make sense. Yeah. So in all of his accounts of how he wrote the chorus, he says the words just came out like I blessed the rains down in Africa, gonna take some time, whatever. So he really feels He channeled the muse. Divine in yeah. his Africa story. Great. Can't wait for a white guy who feels blessed by God to talk about and conquer Africa. That's never gone that's never gone poorly before. I'm surprised this song has gone so well. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's problematic now. <laughs> but like was it problematic then? I mean, I guess it's no, it's just for me it is because it has all of the things um like Christian missionaries, like we'll get to all of this, but Oh, there's Christian missionaries involved? Yeah. Um Woof. So uh, it's everything I don't like, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm keeping that groan in because there's no way I'm going to be able to remove it. Uh. <laughs> um. So after he just channeled God and just came out with this chorus, then it took him six months to work on the remainder of the lyrics before he Red- presented it to the rest of the band. Red flag channeling God. Yeah. Okay, so so the rest of the song took him six months. Yeah. This doesn't sound all that. Like, this sounds like kind of the work of a songwriter. Yeah. Okay, so side note about Toto. This band has a bit of a revolving lineup over the years. It was originally oh. formed in 1977 by five guys, which was vocalist, Bobby Kimball, guitarist, Steve Lukather, keyboardist, David Page, bassist, David Hungate, keyboardist steve percaro and his brother jeff on drums that's six people okay so (laughs) (laughs) and we had keyboardists there twice i mean they deserve two keyboardists for sure this is what i mean though by this revolving cast of characters yeah but but page seems to be like who toto is right i i kind of at you know I kind of think that the songwriting is the true soul of the band, as opposed to like the players in the band. Mm-hmm. I think they all wrote songs. There's this one clip that I saw where uh, Steve Percaro was saying how he hated Africa, and he was like, "But that doesn't mean that I didn't. We didn't try on the song because we wanted the guys to try on our song." So it sounded like oh, they all sure. had their own songs. That's cool. I like that kind of egalitarian band. Like, all the songs are by the band. Yeah. Yeah. After they recorded Toto 4, which we know is the album with Africa on it, David Hungate left the band and was placed replaced with Mike Percaro, brother of Jeff and Steve. 
Then mm. two years later, Bobby Kimball left the band because allegedly his cocaine use was hindering his vocal abilities. Sounds about right. Does is there a fourth Precaro brother um, to join the band know. after Bobby Kimball leaves? I don't know. This is really where I just dropped off on the research because it was too much to keep up with and probably not that interesting anyway. Sure. Jeff Precaro died of a heart attack in 1992. Oh, shit. Yeah. So, I mean, that's like, wait, Jeff Precaro died of a heart attack? Yeah, he was the drummer. The, the okay. Yikes. So, back to the 80s. Have you seen the Africa video? I have not seen the Africa video. Is it just the Madonna video with Africa underneath it? <laughs> you wish. I do kind of wish. Sexy Jesus. All right. Are you ready for this? I am. Spinning. Oh, no. Is that the wheel of a ship? I don't know what that was. Lindsay, is that the wheel of a ship? (laughs) I hear the drums are going tonight. Oh no. Oh, this is real bad already. Yes. Is this song about how much he wants to fuck a black girl? Aviv. I don't know. I, I mean, why why are you scolding me? It's a valid question, given that it's like a bunch of white dudes and like a black a sexy black secretary and they're singing about blessing. I think the she's a scientist. She I don't know. She's Oh, I guess I guess she is a scientist. That's you know what? That's me. That's on me. Sexism. <laughs> that's your sexism right there. That's my sexism showing. Oh, okay. and they're just on a book that says Africa. It says Africa. It's like a forced perspective thing. Also, this guy with the beard is not doesn't. Oh, he's got a corner of a map it's or It's like something? he thinks he's fucking Indiana Jones. Yeah. Oh, and there's a gong, which is like racism, but from a different continent. The wild dogs cry out in the night as they grow restless. I, I, I can only imagine that the rest of the episode you're going to discuss how... <laughs> whatever his name is, went to Africa and studied among the indigenous people and was writing a documentary a, a, a documentary type song about the things he actually experienced firsthand, right? Right, right. Right, right Lindsay? A hundo. Hundo, okay. <laughs> Playing the conga drums with drumsticks, a thing you're definitely not supposed to do. love a dude playing a high bass. Dude's, <laughs> dude's bass is up by his Adam's apple. Uh, oh no. Oh no. Yeah. Just a black hand holding a spear. Yeah. So I think it might be important to, oh God, Uh, I think it might be important to mention that like when I like white people have a a tendency to kind of explain away really bad cultural appropriation of the past being like, we didn't know, but like 
we white people didn't know, kind of everyone else knew. Look at this. This is, this is yeah. bad. This is heinous. Just some zoom-ins on the, on the country of Sudan, the country of Chad. That's a really good mustache, though. <laughs> wow, I hate this. Why is he burning the book? Why is he burning the book? I don't know. All of the books are just called Africa. We have the hand holding the spear again. And the and the lion head. Oh, this is really rough. L dog, this is bad. And her glasses. And now he's alone on the Africa book. And so, it's burning? It's burning. Okay, so Rolling Stone called this video mind-blowingly racist, so I saved it to watch with you. <laughs> I did not wait. watch this prior to this recording. Wait, 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 wait. Rolling Stone at the time? No. Okay, just now. Recently, within the past couple of years. Oh my God, yes. Tell me everything about what Rolling Stone had to say about it. <laughs> they really didn't say much more than that. They said that the video was mind-blowingly racist and that uh, MTV hardly ever played it. <laughs> okay, great. Real good stuff. So I did find this article from the Tab UK that says Africa by Toto is officially over. Stop playing this song at parties. Great. A few weeks ago, following the Black Lives Matter protests and toppling of slaver statues, another icon of whiteness was attacked. Africa by Toto. One Twitter user posted saying, white people, I understand this will be hard to hear, but we're going to have to talk about that Toto song sooner or later. And that user was right. I have a lot of feelings about that, just that sentence, that paragraph. Okay, go ahead. So Rolling Stone is doing a bit of yellow journalism by comparing Black Lives Matter and the removal. This is the, the removal, tab. Oh, the tab. What is the fucking tab? It's from UK. Okay, the tab UK is doing some yellow journalism by comparing the Black Lives Matter protest and the toppling of Confederate and slave-owning statues and one Twitter user saying that Africa by Toto is, like, a bit racist. And once again, this Twitter user is not wrong, and the tab says that. But, like, I just listened to the, the You're Wrong About episode about cancel culture. Big shout-out uh-huh. to You're Wrong About, the best podcast in the biz. And they're like, Twitter is not everyone. Right? Like, only 5% of America even uses Twitter regularly. So, like, Mm -hmm. why the, like, one Twitter, or even, like, a handful of Twitter users does not represent a cultural, an actual cultural shift. But, like, no matter how right or wrong they are, this is, like, not valid to compare millions of people marching in the streets to one Twitter user being like, Africa's kind of racist, too. I agree. That's true. Even though I agree with her. <laughs> um, like said, we'll come back feelings. to this after you hear the whole story. Okay. So, gonna take what do we? Take <laughs> from you. It is catchy. Right? What do we think the song is about? Um, so, after watching the video, I think it's about him wanting to fuck a black woman. Are you looking at me judgmentally? I can't see you're backlit. Yes, I am. I, I tr- like, I'm not doing a bit. I really think that this is 
from the from the context I got from the video, I mean, it's clear like the the chorus is it's going to take a lot to drag me away from you. There's nothing that a hundred men or more could ever do. I bless the rains down in Africa, right? So he's clearly talking about someone he wants to be with, and also Africa. <laughs> and and the woman in the video is the only person of color except for the disembodied hand throwing a spear. So why does it have to be that he wants to fuck her? Why couldn't he be like in love with oh, her or sure. infatuated I mean, same, with same. her brains and beauty? She's a biologist. She clear they clearly do not respect this woman for her brain. Okay, or you don't. That's also possibly. Um, no, no. So, so sorry. That was a little harsh. He what he like wants to be with romantically. He's in love with a potentially a black woman. Is is like that is the narrative that I am constructing from the video and from the song, from what I know of the song, okay. which is very little. Okay. So this is from Rolling Stone. Africa is a song about feeling homesick for nowhere. The singer is lost in time and place. No wait. No no. We have to stop right now. What? Okay. Because Africa isn't nowhere. Africa is somewhere. It's on a map. I know. You can go there. I know, but you didn't even let me finish. Okay. I just got more offended than I've ever been. <laughs> the singer is lost in time and place, yearning for a romance that never happened in a homeland he's never seen. He doesn't know a thing about Africa, except it has to be better than the nightmare where he's trapped right now. You might even say he's frightened of this thing that he's become stop it these days we all know how that feels could you ask for a better summary of modern alienation than a yacht rock song about the desert i swear to fucking god Lindsay. <laughs> why not i bless the rains down in narnia then i bless the rains down in narnia it fits i don't i think you're taking a rolling stone a little too literal i think they're kind of making fun of page being like this is like a made-up place to him oh, he's never oh. fucking been there he's dancing on a book oh okay I, he doesn't know what he's talking I about i took that sincerely. there's a spear in a hand <laughs> i took that sincerely i thought that i thought that that was like coming directly from page and not no like, no, no, no. Uh, this it, is like rolling stone uh, making fun of it I, is the okay. tone i'm reading okay re <laughs> yeah. read it to me again and i will and i will apply my satire filter <laughs> okay africa is a song about feeling homesick for nowhere. The singer is lost in time and place, yearning for a romance that never happened in a homeland he's never seen. He doesn't know a thing about Africa, except it has to be better than the nightmare where he's trapped right now. You might even say he's frightened of this thing that he's become. These days, we all know how that feels. Could you ask for a better summary of modern alienation than a yacht rock song about the desert? Uh, oh right, a yacht rock song with it. Uh, so I still am a little offended by by what they're saying, but I I get it a little more now. <laughs> All right, so we're gonna hear from David Page many times. Page has changed his explanation of the song's meaning several times over the decades, <laughs> which annoys me to no end. I kind of like it. I mean, I like it when Tom Waits does it because Tom Waits is like, "I was born in a barn," but like, <laughs> but this guy is, I think, maybe trying to wriggle out of facing facing backlash for writing a super racist song. You would think, but he doesn't seem to even <laughs> just, get it. He's just digging down. Yeah. Uh, so he wrote in the notes of the 1995 Toto's Best Ballads compilation. At the beginning of the 80s, I watched a late-night documentary on TV about all the terrible death and suffering of the people in Africa. Lindsay. 
It both moved and appalled me, and the pictures just wouldn't leave my head. I tried to imagine how I'd feel if I was there and what I'd do. Well, stop. Stop it, Lindsay. I swear to God! And what I'd do? If only I, the white man, were there, I would stop all the death in Africa. <laughs> I would do my rain dance. So I have to. Be- so because this is like the liner notes of a greatest hits release, I have to believe that he didn't even write that. That like some publicist wrote that shit. Okay. Or at least a publicist. It went through a publicist before it wound up in the album because that is ridiculous. That is ridiculous. But he talks about this all the time. No, you know, Lindsay, I was seeing no. UNICEF ads. I was seeing this. I was seeing that. Uh, so I'm not really sure what he was watching, but. Uh, just for context, in the 1980s, there was recurring drought, civil war, and a famine crisis in Ethiopia that definitely had the world's attention. Mm-hmm. And according to the UN, Ethiopia's food shortage from, the 19- from 1983 to 1985 led to an estimated 1 million famine deaths. I'm telling you this because he like talks about starving children all the time. Yeah, And we, th- we also did Live Aid, right? Yeah. We did Live Aid yeah. in 85, which is the same year that Out of Africa came out, which is about a white colonizer couple going down to Africa and like moving stuff around. Yeah. We we were bad in the 80s and we're still bad, but we're, we're still bad. extra bad now then. Yeah, we're well, we're always bad. Bad. Yes, we're canceled. And I don't mean that sarcastically. <laughs> It sounded sarcastic, but like white people are fucking done. Maybe white people should just not for a minute thanks a lot bob geldoff um okay so in a 2005 interview with mix online page said over many years i had been taken by the unicef ads with the pictures of africa and the starving children i had always wanted to do something to connect with that and bring more attention to the continent i wanted to go there too so i sort of invented a song that put me in africa he he told song facts that was me using a lot of writer's license I remember seeing lots of films of starving and famine when I was a kid in pictures of Africa. Then I'd seen some movies and read a lot of the National Geographics and always wanted to go to Africa. So I romanticized this story about a social worker that goes over there and falls in love with working with the country and doing good. No, no, (laughs) nope. Extremely not. Extremely not. But he also falls in love and has to make a choice between helping people for the rest of his life or having a family and doing that kind of thing. And doing that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Casual. Uh, so, like, how, how much of this is supported by the lyrics or how much of, and how much of this is to him just, like, making up bullshit? Well, we have this part where it's, like, she's coming in 12.30 flight. hmm And so it seems like there's a person that's established in Africa and then there's, like, a woman coming in. Right. Um, but like so so the woman I I believe is in the song but it, the helping the locals thing I don't really Oh right 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 this is this is why I feel like he just wildly made of made this up after the fact I think so like it's going to take a lot to drag me away from you continent of Africa but I'm in love yeah. or it's going to take a lot to drag me away from you woman I'm in love with but the continent of Africa is calling me Well just we'll get there Oh, okay. Um, so he continued, there was a little metaphor involved here because I was at the age where I was so immersed in my work 24-7 that at times I felt like I was becoming just a victim of my work. There was a little bit of autobiographical information in there, being consumed by my work, not having time to go out and pursue getting married and raising a family and doing all the things that other people do that were my age at the time. So it could be semi-autobiographical in that point. 
I too have once taken a 12:30 flight. Yeah. I mean, this is a lot. Like white saviorism, victim mentality, nothing good is happening here. And and like projecting my own personal problems onto a continent which has like way more problems than like be like being overworked. Right. Like, oh, I'm a rock star in America. It's so hard. I I have to stress, not England? No. Okay. I'm still, I'm still, I'm not, not quite believing it, but sure. Okay. So to make matters worse, we're about to go deep into the Christianity and proselytism. Oh, no. Yep. Pull the ripcord. (laughs) Uh, So there's this guy on YouTube, the pop song professor. Okay. He explains songs to kids and anyone who wants to watch these videos he explains that Paige went to an all-boys catholic school where these missionaries would come talk to the kids about going out and giving bibles to the african people and blessing their crops uh, or and blessing, blessing their, their crops rains. or even blessing the rains which is where the line i bless the rains down in africa comes from the missionaries told him that loneliness and not being able to get married because they were catholic priests was the most difficult part about the job so basically he wrote about somebody coming in to meet one of the lonely missionaries but in another interview he said it's not really about a romantic relationship. It is about romance in a sense, but it's about the romance of Africa as a beautiful, mysterious, interesting place. Oh, it's so about the ro- he wants so to far, fuck Africa. The from the perspective of a missionary who lives in Africa and somebody is flying in to meet him. So there is some support to back up this thing about all boys Catholic school. Here's a quote from Paige talking about this. I went to an all-boys Catholic school, and there were a lot of brothers that were teaching us there, and they were going to Africa and coming back. A lot of them were deciding whether to go into the priesthood or whether to get married or not, and there were a lot of issues, like celibacy was obviously a big issue. I had all these things rattling about in my brain when I was writing the song. All these thoughts about priests and young social workers that have gone over there, devoting their lives to helping people, to having to choose what kind of life they're going to have, whether to keep doing this, what I'm doing here. Or can I have a life, get married, have kids, and do that kind of thing? So it was a life choice mixed with a geographical fascination. So this is explanation number three. And they're all kind of they're all kind of similar but contradictory in certain ways. Right. Okay, so let's draw a line from like this kind of Christian colonialism, which provided Page the only information about Africa that he ever learned, or the let's say the first information about Africa he ever learned, and then dr- that draws a straight line to, well, if I'm going to write a song about this place I've never been, I'm going to draw on the information that this priest gave me about being lonely and like wanting, wanting to either find someone to marry or devote my life to like the priesthood, right? And so it's like. Like like subconscious Christian colonialism spreading, and also it's the point of view from the of the white person. Like his biggest problem is like, do I stay here and keep helping people, or do I get married? Not like there's actual fucking problems. Yeah, I mean it's the same thing that we were talking about before. Of like, my problems are so severe. I'm a rock star, and like like Africa can be what I can truly define me. did you watch the new Bo Burnham special? No. So there's this uh, there's this bit that he does, the song that he does, where um, th- basically the point is that white people only view progress through their own lens and how it like affects them, and this is the the exact example of that, right? right. So like it's the like, Green Book, he, 
Right, exactly. So like he thinks that he is being progressive. He's like, I'm drawing awareness. I'm helping, you know, I want to help feed these kids in Ethiopia or whatever. Mm -hmm. But he's all he's doing is like comparing his drop in the bucket problems to the entire continent that is like has a million people starving in it. Right. Good job, man. Seriously. And then it's like he's setting up this perhaps romantic relationship, perhaps not. In multiple Mm. reports, Paige has said it's not a song about a romance between people, but romance as Africa as a place. He said, I just kind of romanticized the story about a social worker that was over there that falls in love and can't, is having kind of a paradox, trying to tear himself away from Africa to actually have a life. So he's just constantly contradicting himself. Like, it's not about people, and then it is about people. And that's even worse because I have to give up helping these people to, to quote, like actually go, have a life. <laughs> yeah, to have a life. <laughs> to like work on my own shit. Yeah, because like, like marriage is such a better, is like a real life, but being in Africa is not a real life. And being selfless is a performance, mm-hmm. right? Like helping people is a performance. And once that yeah. performance is over, that's you go back clear. to being selfish clear. again. Yeah. Yeah. So the lyric, it's going to take a lot to drag me away from you. There's nothing that 100 Men or More could ever do is supposedly about the continent and not about a person at all. It's good. Okay. So, so they're trying to drag him away from Africa. Or this love interest is trying to drag him away from Africa. Uh, is he singing directly to Africa? No, it makes me feel weird. It is. It is weird. There's one other interpretation that I just want to touch on here because it's a quote that the internet has gone a little wild with where Percaro said, a white boy is trying to write a song on Africa, but since he's never been there, he can only tell what he's seen on TV or remembers in the past. So I think that's obvious. The obvious interpretation here is that he's talking about Paige. Paige is a white boy who's never been to Africa and is writing it based on what he remembers seeing as as a kid on TV, etc. Is the other reading that it's like a metatextual thing that like Paige is writing about a guy who's writing about Africa? I don't buy that for a fucking second. Yeah. Like plenty of people heard this quote interpreted that the song is about a white boy writing a song about Africa. Makes zero sense. It's stupid. And then I put down my pen and I make a coffee (laughs) and the beans are from Africa. Oh my God. Um, proof that Paige has never been to Africa or doesn't know anything about it. There's the line, sure as Kilimanjaro rises like Olympus above the Serengeti. Is Kilimanjaro in, above the Serengeti? I don't, I don't know. I sent you a little geographical info about okay. Africa, so you can click on that. Can Kilimanjaro be seen from the Serengeti? Quote, as sure as Kilimanjaro rises like Olympus from the Serengeti. Turns out Kilimanjaro is 200 yes. miles away. <laughs> yes. So on a particularly clear day, no. you, you, you still can't see it. You can't. The human eye is amazingly powerful. We can see in almost unlimited distance. The farthest object visible with the naked eye is far in space. So if the distance between Serengeti and Mount Kilimanjaro is only 200 miles, it seems that we would certainly be able to see Mount Kilimanjaro from the Serengeti, right? Not so fast. Wait a minute. <laughs> Are you trying to tell me <laughs> that the Earth isn't flat? That's what I'm trying to tell you. Oh my god. So <laughs> I did I truly did not think that this episode was gonna touch on flat earthers. <laughs> tell me. Well, as you know, as you may not know, the earth is round. What? Spherical. So if you're two hundred miles away, uh-huh. there's a slope. 
yeah, so the curvature of the Earth will uh, prevent us from seeing things, just like people in Greece discovered that the Earth was round, not Christopher Columbus, when they saw ships approaching and saw that the masts were coming in first. Because if the Earth was flat, the whole ship would appear on the horizon at the same time. And the Earth, the estimate is that the Earth curves eight inches per mile. Like our visual... Like, okay, that, right. So for every mile of distance. So if you were standing at sea level, the Earth's curvature would obstruct nearly 26,000 feet in height at the distance of 200 <laughs> miles. Okay. You would so, not be able to see Kilimanjaro. So so, so to, to clarify this, if we were standing a mile away and you could see me, I would look eight inches short. You'd be missing eight inches of the bottom of my body because that part is obscured by the curvature of the Earth. Correct. So 200 miles away, it's how many feet? <laughs> 26,000 feet in height at a distance of 200 miles. The Earth's curvature would obstruct nearly 26,000 feet in height. Uh-huh. And how tall is Kilimanjaro? 19,340 feet. Math, motherfucker. <laughs> okay. So, like, we're not so... Okay. But also, like, Africa is fucking big. So it's not even... I don't, I don't even think, like, like the, the flatter thing in and of itself is hilarious but <laughs> i don't think that he put any thought into it he just like is is Dumb. using africa buzzwords yes yes serengeti tiger right <laughs> safari <laughs> right exactly um all right so we've got all these fucking explanations and speculations that sort of always stem from this idea that he's watching tv but then in a 2019 professor of rock interview page changes his story again and says he no. wasn't watching a documentary at all what was he watching you also are watching a documentary right as far as the lyrics go what the fuck no, is not so much i was reading a lot of national geographic at the okay. time is what i was doing i got a lot of what? stuff from there from poetically paraphrasing uh, some of the things and i had uh, you know read, read some books and stuff and uh, and was kind of romanticizing about going to africa which i'd never been i absolutely hate the way he looks now oh, i know that this lips. is I don't I know that that's not the point <laughs> but like what the fuck is he wearing what does he look what does he look like i can't even make my lips do that so wait can yes, we just go back? i was a reader the thing is i was a reader so <laughs> yeah we but okay back. so let's can we just discuss i i i don't want to make fun of people's looks but i i just have to i just have to describe what is happening so he is wearing an open bright blue button-down shirt and a black mock turtleneck underneath with what with what looks to be an arrowhead necklace it, it looks on. like an arrowhead necklace mm -hmm. and he's got negative chin he's got no chin sunglasses on indoors and not a it's like a zoo york hat on and, and lots of lip injections like lots of lip injections. so many lip injections and like bushy eyebrows and like does not look like the guy in the video and really doesn't look like if you're like this was the guy in a famous 80s band to be like fuck you he looks like a b-boy <laughs> i like how he has um like the baby blue hits all over like it's yeah. the hat oh it's and the, the watch watch too. <laughs> and and the dude net to his right it looks like the aliens guy from the history channel like he looks like he was in an 80s band yeah 
Wow. Um, wow. As soon as he started talking, I was like, no, this isn't him. And he was the the dude, the the main dude in the video. The He's Indiana lived a Jones. hard life, my friend. For number number one comment on this video is from Jennifer with two Fs, Lugo Estrada from a year ago. Africa is a timeless song, one of the greatest masterpieces of music. I'm wow, begging Jennifer. you to listen to another song. Yeah. Or this podcast. Yeah, so before we move on, I just want to, like, talk about, like, you know, some people will listen to this and be like, I wanted to hear about songs, not about your fucking liberal agenda, you fucking libs. And (laughs) I think that, like, responsible media consumption is really important. And it's something that I teach my students when I'm teaching screenwriting is, like, there are unconscious things that... You know, I'm sure that this dude was not trying to be offensive, was actually trying to raise awareness for this or that or the other thing and did it through his own lens. But just like the way that his priest or his missionary when he was in school taught him a thing that he internalized and didn't really think that much about. Like if we don't think that much about what we're being fed by this video and this song, we're going to just perpetuate it again. And so canceling the, you know, like, can people listen to this song and enjoy it? Sure. But should people think about, like, that this person has never actually been to Africa and is using an an entire continent of a billion people as, like, a prop? We should definitely think about that. Right. And just check your privilege. Check your biases. I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad for the music that they like. (laughs) I mean, this is, like, objectively a cheese ball song. I love this song. I really love it. It's really fun. I chose it because it's fun and... But, you know, it's problematic, like so many other things. Just like with the hook, right? Like, we we learned that John Popper is kind of a creeper. But, like, I'm still a fan of that song, and we can kind of laugh and enjoy the song and still be like, yeah, but John Popper sure is a creeper. And, like, <laughs> two things were complicated machine. Our brains are complicated computers. Two things can – two thoughts can exist at the same time. Right. And so I, like, I like have – kind of a little disgust for the way that the song happened but you know it's still like a cheese ball song it's it's probably not all that deep but if we don't stop and think about the damage that we could be doing unconsciously then we'll just keep doing it forever yeah now i'm gonna change it up a little so you can stop being so upset and have a little more fun i don't know if i can (laughs) i'm gonna lighten the mood for you Thank you. I need it. I know. So in that Professor of Rock interview, Paige and the other band members speak at length about the creation of Africa. Mm -hmm. And Paige says that most of the Toto 4 album was complete and he had just gotten a new instrument, a GS1 from Yamaha. Oh, cool. Know anything about those? Uh, So they're keyboards or motorcycles because Yamaha makes both. Mm -hmm. So yeah, a a GS1. Mm-hmm. Is what they're called? Mm-hmm. GS1 Yamaha. Uh, I don't know anything about them in particular, but they sound like kind of early, not early, like synths. Yeah, I will tell you. It was the first commercially produced synthesizer to use frequency modulation as its method of synthesis. Oh, interesting. Please so tell was me it what like that means. Programmable. <laughs> so frequency modulation is. Okay. So. Previously, synthesizers, are we sure about this? Can you say this again? Tell me this again. The first commercially produced synthesizer to use frequency modulation as its method of synthesis. Okay, so 
I am I'm not a I'm not a synthesizer historian, but it seems like okay, so there are keyboard synthesizers and electric pianos and they're all slightly different. So keyboards anything with keys on it and an electric piano it has a specific sound and there are different brands of electric pianos that all kind of have like a Wurlitzer sounds like this and a and a Hammond sounds like that. Um and so the synthesizers will have fake instruments programmed into them right mm-hmm. so this is like the approximation of strings this is the approximation of horns and so cheap synthesizers will use what's called midi midi instruments which is like the fake um pro pre-programmed stuff that sounds really bad and that's like what 80s music sounds a lot like but frequency modulation in synthesizers means that you can program your own instrument sounds or your own types of sounds so Mm -hmm. you can modulate the frequency you can modulate the sine wave of the notes to create your own sound and that can create cool things like phasing and clipping and distortion and tremolo and and it's super fun but um i'm very bad at it it's like not a science or an art that i'm super good at but i've tried a few times just like digitally because now now you can do that just on any like you can do that on the program that I'm using to record this podcast. So that's what I'm, that's like kind of my extrapolation of it, but first commercially available one. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to hear Paige and Steve Percaro talking about this. Oh, great. It's does, am I completely wrong? I don't know. (laughs) I think that that's what that means. I'm not like 99. I'm not a hundred percent positive. Every time you say modulate, what do you think I'm thinking of? Um, Changing the key in a song. Hamilton. Don't modulate the key and then try to not debate with me. That's my favorite song in Hamilton. <laughs> but he is modulating the key. So we were both right. <laughs> okay. And I started, I got a new instrument called a, a GS1 from Yamaha. Mm-hmm. And it had these little kind of kalimba, Balinesian, gamelan kind of sounds in it. And uh, we had a CS80 in my living room. My, my house had keyboards everywhere, and you could plug them in and record also. We're using the synthesizer called a GS1. It was this Yamaha. It was a $16,000 digital instrument that you couldn't program. Couldn't program. They only had two or three of these programmers for oh. four-screen. It was a very early application of FM synthesizers, which is what the DX7 wound up being. But this GS1 was in this other model of it and it had amazing sounds and had this amazing characteristic but uh this guy named gary lewenberger was his name very dear friend of ours who was helping us programming stuff he came in and especially for africa we spent hours hours on tweaking those kalimba sounds you know what i mean getting that sound just right He helped us out doing a custom custom program. That's how in with Yamaha I was yeah, in those yeah, days yeah. too. That I was able to do that. No one, you know, they didn't do custom programming for anybody. I just was that in with all those guys, and uh, we really squeaked that out. And that was for Africa. Yeah. So so he's confirming the thing that I assumed when I heard frequency modulation. But he says that you can't uh, you can't program them because like. Like only four people in the world knew how or whatever. Oh, by the way, so FM, like frequency modulation, is the same thing as FM radios. And do you know who invented 
FF frequency modulation? Alexander Hamilton. No. <laughs> Even weirder. <laughs> in fact, it was Hedy Lamar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Hedy Lamar, who was an actor, was also a spy for the Allies in World War II. And she co patented the way to use frequency hopping and frequency modulation to hide radio signals in other radio signals so that the allies could um, have messages like un, un, un de- decodable messages to each other. Are we going to write the screenplay? Uh, I'm sure this already been written. <laughs> okay. This is like a, this is like not a widely known fact, but like Hedy Lamar as a spy is like a thing that people have talked mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the first songs that used like a synthesizer is a song called Hats Off to Larry by Del Shannon. And it was such like a, it's from the 60s and it was such a new instrument that they put it super high in the mix. And so it's like a normal kind of 60s rock or 60s kind of like doo-wop song. And then the, the synthesizer solo comes in and it's like the loudest fucking sound you've ever heard in your entire life. That's all. That is all. Okay. Um, so Paige said in that same interview, I had my chorus to it. And once I had my title, which was Africa, I realized, well, if I'm going to do this and it's going to be anything worth it, we can't just cut it regular. So I asked Jeff to compose a special loop that was integral to the part. It just wasn't an afterthought to make him part of the song. So that's drums. We're talking about drums. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the kalimba thing. That boom, bum, 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 I said, I want you to start the song with a loop and we'll add all this stuff to it one at a time, almost like the Beatles were doing and like Brian Wilson did, which was putting mm-hmm. instruments on one at a time. It was very experimental, very fun for us. You have some of this older school technology, as Steve was saying before, about this collaborative effort where everybody's in the room and you're printing the echo. And we're kind of the last of the bands that saw the old school of making records on tape and utilizing how tape is, you know? And when we did Africa, we were doing like tape loops, actual tape loops on microphone stands. Zal Schmidt, legendary engineer, was working with us. And, you know, we were doing like Lenny Castro, who's out with us now. And Jeff would come up and find four, eight bars of a loop. And then we'd start overdubbing to that. And it was really old school. Analog, analog. You know what I mean? I mean, <laughs> I mean like, well, you got tape. How do we room. do this? You, you guys know? have seen tape loops, real tape loops, right? Where you get just a pole and a pole. Tape is spinning yeah. around the room right yeah. here. And, like and if you want it longer, you have to move the microphone wow. stand a little yeah, bit more like We're not syncing up two machines. We gotta, we're made of one of the... the if we wanted Africa, to, you know? Instead of sampling things, we used to fly it in like wild. So you'd have to do yeah. it manually. Like, you know, the, like the background yeah. vocals would be like this ooze or something like that. You didn't want right. to do it again. You put it on the two track and you'd have to go one, bam, and yeah. anticipate it and hope that it catches up in time. Yeah. That's how they did. And wow. we did that because we heard George Martin did that with Sergeant Peppers. Yeah, right. They would wild yeah. sync it in and then annoying. edit pieces together. Otherwise, you annoying. had to do what we did in the first couple albums, which just sing every single chorus and triple every single chorus Jeez. and do all that. And it's very time-consuming. That's yeah. where budgets went, and that's what took so long with making uh, real productive albums. You. That waiting for me. Yeah, so, I mean, it's interesting that they're, like, they're using tape in the way that we, are use, that we use digital now. So, like, I only have to sing a backup vocal one time, and we can copy and paste it now. And that's what he's talking about doing. He's talking about like singing the backup vocal once and literally cutting the tape out and flying it in and and punching it in at the right spot as everything is like lining up. Mm. 
so yeah it's tough the um movie movie people had it like way tougher before digital sound because they would have to do it with every like every sound effect like in old-timey radio or whatever they'd have to do it live yeah um but yeah this is like it's a cool fun experiment i don't know whether it like creates a better sound or whatever but or is or is that less time consuming but like whatever (laughs) tape has made a huge comeback now and most rock bands will record to tape before they go go into digital um but yeah recording only on tape is something i did once in 2004 because it was like the cheapest studio i could find or 2003 cheapest studio i could find for my high school band and we still did it on tape and it was a bitch (laughs) it was horrible um my it was my, my friend's band and my band and recording so you have to clean the tape heads between every take or whatever because if there's like dirt on them it won't print your take and so my friend nick for his record like nailed a guitar solo and no one had cleaned the tape <gasps> head and so it never and so like the guy who was engineering it like cleaned out the tape head with a with a q-tip i'll never forget this cleaned out the tape head with a q-tip and it was totally black and he lifts it up and it he sounds shows a lot like, like my belly button journey this morning oh gross <laughs> he so he, he cleaned the he cleaned the tape head with the q-tip and he pulls it out and it was black and he goes look look every he holds it up he's like look everybody here's nick's guitar solo <gasps> yeah it was it was mortifying oh my yeah, gosh rec- recording tape is is rough shit oh recording this was recording only tape this was in 2004 or three yeah so now it's more of a mix yeah so the way that uh, so the way that i do it in the studio that i go to which I, I i think is pretty common is it goes through tape and it's basically the tape is like always running mm-hmm. and then it goes directly from the tape to the digital audio workstation and so it that it actually never records on the tape. It just goes through the tape machine. So it gets that nice kind of tape compression mm-hmm. and, and warmth and fuzziness to it. I mean, you can definitely hear a difference. And like it is the difference is a degradation in quality, just like the way people think that like vinyl records sound better than CDs or whatever. Better is a subjective term. But what you're hearing, what you like better is imperfections is is crackle and is compression and is warmth and and worn outness from the making the analoging of the digital file Mm. we like the character yeah we like the character i actually so when i was in college i took a music physics class and this is like way 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 i'll do like the five second version of this of this project but my there are two types of guitar amplifiers there is solid state which is like a got a computer board in it and tube amplifiers and so tube amplifiers are supposedly better sounding quote unquote um and i my music physics project for the end of the semester was to figure out why and the why is because the computer like outputs the notes more exactly than the tubes do the tubes have some like distortion in them and so it makes a rounder warmer sound Mm. so you don't like it better because it sounds better you like it better because it's less perfect love that love that we can all take that home when we're looking at ourselves in the mirror and we're picking out all of our little imperfections just remember we love you because you're imperfect yeah the uncanny valley right that's why (laughs) that's why um computerized human beings look really creepy to us yeah so too perfect um, this might be the last time we're going to hear from Paige. I have the quote from him that he Bless. told ESPN's culture blog, Grantland. 
I think the hypnotic beat that Jeff Percaro put together on it was just incredible. It's just this tribal primal hypnosis thing that goes on with this heartbeat that keeps counting. I think that when a song is story driven, it's interesting to follow along and listen to lyrics that have a little bit of thought put behind them. This was definitely story driven. I think there's kind of a few twists and turns. There's a lot for people to interpret on their own. The harmonies and the vocal arrangement and the way they come together in the chorus have a lot to do with it. My favorite section is when I hear the marriage of words and notes and the harmonies all blending together in the chorus. That's what gets me. It's just there's something magical that happens when it all comes together. I actually kind of agree with him that that I bless the rains where like it that is a perfect melding of melody harmony and the instrumentation. It's like a very satisfying moment in a song. Yeah, because I don't really I personally I'm not super jazzed about the verses. But once you get to that chorus, Mm, that's when I get invested. (laughs) I agree. I agree. I think it's got a really strong chorus hook. Yeah. Which is at the end of the chorus. Right. Even the even the beginning of the chorus is like is good but it it is leading up to the payoff of i bless the rains down in africa yeah uh okay so in 2013 jimmy fallon and justin timberlake sang africa in one of their camp winnipesaukee skits which they've Mm. done a bunch of times with different songs over the years great not my favorite skit we could sing that song that we heard in the radio today oh you mean africa by toto (laughs) i love that song but but Yuck. I know. It's really. It's just become like a meme. Yeah. That same year, 2013, CBS played Africa in their coverage of Nelson Mandela's funeral. No. Which even the band recognized was horrendous. Bad, bad CBS. David Page released a statement saying CBS should have used actual South African music instead and added, we honor Nelson Mandela. Great. Africa was in the charts again a few years ago when Weezer covered it. Do you remember that? Yes, I have many, 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 many thoughts about this and the memification of both Africa and Weezer. So I'm going to give you the history and then you can go on that. Okay. Uh, It was 2017-ish, and this 15-year-old girl, Mary Klim, was living in Ohio watching Stranger Things Season 1, and she heard Africa. Like we all were doing. Right? Presumably for the first time. Stranger Things Season 1? Yeah. Nancy and Steve were making out, and Africa is playing. (laughs) She was obsessed with Weezer, so in December 2017, she started a Twitter account to try and convince the band to cover the song. The fan of Count got enough traction that in May 2018, Weezer released their cover of Africa that almost immediately hit number one on iTunes. Uh-huh. Please tell me. So, I have... So, Weezer... I don't... I Okay. I don't call anyone sellouts. I don't think that selling out is a real thing. Except Weezer. So, mm-hmm. this was... This was the, them caving to this memification, right? And they, the, it became number one. And they also did it as a part of a covers album that they did. So they did Africa. They did Take On Me. They did um, No Scrubs. They did Billie Jean. And like... Uh, they guys. did that song from Stranger Than Fiction, right? Oh, no. That was Cage the Elephant. Never mind. Uh, they did... Mr. Blue Sky. Mr. Blue Sky, please tell us why. That's from that's from Guardians Blue, of right? the Galaxy. Yeah, it's also from Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy. Uh, two. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that I, I listened to Rivers Cuomo on Song Exploder, and he was explaining how he writes all of his songs via spreadsheet now. And I just like, I don't know. This is a prime example of like a band with nothing left to say, just like doing sure. a thing that will make them money, which is fine. I mean, they make people happy, they make money, but like they used to have something to say. And now they just, like, absolutely don't. Well, okay. I think this was actually fun. I think it's fun to participate in, <laughs> like, zeitgeisty stuff. Like, yeah, like, you're it's fucking, what else do you have to do? Yeah, Your so, fans so, want to hear this. You have the means to do it. Let me, let me, let me, let me clarify. Doing Africa, I think, is fine and fun, <laughs> right? But doing it as a part of a whole kitschy covers album is, like, that is. Lame. I mean, it's pretty chuggy, right? Yeah. Like, it's like, hey guys, here's some other meme songs that we could do, yeah, and let's all just dumb. like, let, like that to me is selling out. Do it, that, them caving to this girl is like fun. It's cute. It's cute, and they should have like dedicated it to her, or had her in the video, or you know whatever. But um, yeah, I think that they are just like they they are old guys grasping at their former coolness in weird ways, as one does. Yeah, I think Blink-182 is doing the same thing. Uh, all right, so you can play a little clip of the Weezer Africa while we're talking, but we don't have to watch it. So the, we have the video here in front of us, and I think it's important to note that it also stars Weird Al Yankovic. Oh, yeah. Who is awesome. I fucking love Weird <laughs> I have not a single bad thing to say about Weird Al Yankovic, other than he probably shouldn't be in a Weezer video. <laughs> Uh, after Weezer covered Africa, Toto reciprocated by playing Weezer's Hashpipe Live. I think that they released a studio version of it, too. Oh, did they? Check check that while I talk. Because I, I think I remember hearing it and being like, this is better. <laughs> um, Steve Lukather said on stage, we figured since we were smoking hash since before they were born, that's the one we should do. See, he's got it right. <laughs> And like Weezer's cover is just a lo- slightly louder version of the regular Africa. Right. There is a there is a studio version. Ooh. I like I kind of like Hashpipe. Me too. And their version of Hashpipe is better than Weezer's version of Africa. Sorry, oh. sorry, everyone. Uh, fun fun of Eve fact. The very first show I played was a kid's ninth birthday party. His name was Abbott. And he gave us like a, this was in 2003. And he gave us a list of songs that he liked that like we were like a cover band. And this was one of them. (laughs) So I played Hashpipe as like a, as like a 17 year old kid at Abbott's ninth birthday How'd you get the gig? How'd you get Abbott's birthday? uh, At the guitar, I broke a string on my guitar, went to the local guitar store to get a new set of strings and saw a flyer that was like cover band for ninth birthday party. And I took a thing and I called the number and that was it. The rest was history. And the rest was history. I still have the the invitation, which is in the shape of like a ticket uh, for Abbott Palooza 2003. Okay, that's really cute. I think it was like March-ish. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, of 2003. So, so you were like a pushing junior 30 in now. high school? Yeah, yeah. I was, it was, yeah. The band was called Sexy Randall and the Pharaoh Wizards. Sexy Randall? And the Pharaoh Wizards, yeah. Who named it? 
So, uh, you're from New Jersey, so you know of the show, of the movie Clerks, right? Of course. Do, so do only a, New Jersey people know about Clerks? Yeah, but <laughs> like it's like required in your constitution. So, Clerks had a short-lived animated series that only ran two episodes on TV, but six episodes were made, and they've like, released them on DVD. And so, Matt Reuter of the SVU podcast and I would watch them. And one of the episodes has Randall from Clerks winning at a video game called Pharaoh, where you build pyramids. And it was like a parody of The Last Starfighter. Are you familiar with The Last Starfighter? No. So The Last Starfighter is a movie about a guy who is like really, really good at an arcade game called Starfighter. And it turns out after he wins the game that it's like real and he gets like recruited into the Starfighter Corp to like fight the the bad guy. And so in this episode, Randall is good at this game called Pharaoh and he then just gets like recruited by a secret organization to build a pyramid. But he's so good at it that he claims that back in the day people called him sexy randall the pharaoh wizard and so we became sexy randall and the pharaoh wizards did you know that fallout boy came from the simpsons i did it's radioactive man's uh sidekick great the goggles do nothing (laughs) the goggles do nothing um okay in 2019 africa was in the news again great do you the band, know why? Not the, not the, not, not the let's continent. Let's be clear. Well, kind of both. Toto's Africa is going to bless the rains for the rest of time. An artist has created a sound installation that's going to be playing the 1980 hit, uh, 1982 hit on a loop forever. The art piece uses speakers and an MP3 player powered by solar batteries to play the song on a continuous loop. The installation is located in the desert in Namibia. That's kind of cool. I like the idea that Toto appropriated Africa and now this Namibian artist is reappropriating Toto for Africa, you know? As like a, I don't think it's like necessarily a tourist trap, but like, you know. Like like taking back their namesake, let's say. Yeah, the coordinates are secret. Oh, really? Yes. Before we get to that, <laughs> uh, I sent you the link to Max's website and artist statement. So just have a little go at that. So this is Max Sedentoff's? Uh-huh. Max Sedentoff does not sound like a Namibian name. Agreed, but, but what do I know? What do I know? Biography. Let's see. London-based. Is, so not a Namibian this? artist. Then why? Why why the lies? Okay, then I also hate this. Because <laughs> this also just feels like touristy. But the coordinates are secret. Or like kitschy. No, no, no. Like he's the tourist. Right. Okay, so read it. Read it to us. Toto forever. Toto forever. Set in the Namib desert, which is not only the oldest desert in Africa, but the world, I set up a sound installation which pays tribute to probably the most popular song of the last four decades, Toto's Africa. The sound installation consists of six speakers that are attached to an MP3 player that only has one song on it, Toto's Africa. The song is put on loop, and the installation runs on solar batteries to keep Toto going for all eternity. There's a little video of it. And it looks like... Four and pillars. Like an Apple store. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the desert. Um, yeah. Max Seedentoff is a white dude. This is awful. I'm so, on his Instagram right now. So this is her Rolling Stone 2019 article, which is again saying a Namibian artist is cementing what Toto fans have always known. Africa is eternal. 
it straight up says a London-based artist right on his Instagram. Well, maybe he's just based there now. Okay. Max Seedentop has created a sound installation in the coastal Namib desert that will pump out the chart-topping 1982 single on a continuous loop using solar batteries. I wanted to pay the song the ultimate homage and physically exhibit Africa in Africa, the 27-year-old artist told the BBC. Some Namibians love it, and some say it's probably the worst sound installation ever. I think <laughs> that's a great compliment. Seedentop selected an undisclosed location for the installation utilizing six speakers attached to an mp3 player containing africa and africa alone he hopes the nearly five minute cut filled with glossy synthesizers and layered percussion will continue to play for many years or at least until nature takes its toll most parts of the installation were chosen to be as durable as possible he said but i'm sure the harsh environment of the desert will devour the installation eventually He's kept the exact coordinates the mystery thus far. We can only hope some diehard Toto fan will embark on a soft rock scavenger hunt and possibly document their quest on Reddit. This is like filling me with rage once again. <laughs> so I just I just want to read a little bit of his biography. So okay. Max Seedentoff is a Lon- London-based, this is from his website, London-based multidisciplinary conceptual artist working across video, photography, sculpture, creative direction, and everything in between, and is the founder of the art publication Ordinary. From 2013 to 2020, Max Seedentoff has been the creative director for the legendary and unorthodox creative agency Kessel Kramer, which was founded in 1996 by the Dutch artist Eric Kessels, and is the only one that has worked in all three offices and becoming the youngest partner at the age of 25. Jesus. Yeah, I have as much of a problem with him doing this and not being from africa as i do toto do it writing this i think i probably have more problems with him doing this now right because we should know better now we should know better now and he like they he was just like you could have just done nothing you could have just yeah now you're polluting the desert (laughs) you're polluting the desert just leave these people alone you can't let these people just live their lives. You have to remind them of this obnoxious song that you didn't even write. Your whole thing is, I'm going to, somewhere in your country, I've set up a thing that's supposed to play this obnoxious song forever. Aviv's waving his deodorant around angrily. I am. I'm, just, I'm like <laughs> clutching it like a stress ball. Well, I wanted to see if this was on Reddit, if anyone did the treasure hunt, but all I found were a bunch of threads and clipped at the hip said, I'm pretty sure this violates the Geneva Convention in some way. And random account 178 said, sure, but I assume whoever upholds these conventions has 100 men or more, which means there's nothing they can do. Excellent work. So, yeah. So so mad. (laughs) The cursor on his website is a fish. I know. I'm like, I like fucking hate this guy. Uh, yeah. All right. So his website's bad. It is bad. The design is like horrible for like being a designer. I think the moral of the story is that Africa has had quite the life in pop culture, in meme culture. I mean, yes, there's so many Africa memes. The funny thing is that a bunch of the bandmates admit that they'd never even liked the song. And (laughs) (laughs) Steve Percaro has said he didn't even want it on the album. And Steve Lukather said he thought it was shit and the lyrics didn't make sense. They but don't. the CBS executive, Al Keller, convinced them to put the track on the album. That's the fucking why CBS played Africa at Nelson Mandela's funeral. It's because oh. they own the song. 
Um, so Lukather said it was truly a wild card song, and then it ends up being the biggest song we've ever had. So I was never the one to pick the singles. Wow. And the song that I was going to have you go out on was the Perpetual Jazzle. What is the Perpetual Jazzle? <laughs> Perpetuum. Perpetuum Jazzle? Perpetuum Jazzle. The joke is, I'm going to do this song that is so fucking cheesy. Mm-hmm. And so that's like where Weezer comes in, but I'm assuming that's also where Perpetuum Jazzle comes in. So this is a simulated thunderstorm that goes on forever. Amazing. So so we're saying that this isn't a meme? These people seem a little bit sincere. That's 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 very true. It's a pretty good simulated rainstorm. I'm not gonna lie. So I'm not loving that they don't have any instruments on them. <laughs> yeah. It's a cappella, friend. Great. I don't hate a cappella either. <laughs> I have a feeling I'm gonna hate this though. So there's there's like I want to say two dozen people just like smacking themselves on the legs to create this rain sound, but the funny funniest part is there's like a conductor in front of them mm-hmm. conducting this. <laughs> oh, the thunder is good. The thunder's real good. I would like to see them sing the entire song while still playing the rain and thunder. (laughs) Oh, no. No, please. Wow. And where are these people from? Not Africa? Slovenia? They're not very good for like being so good at the <laughs> at the rain. Being so good at the rain, they're not like all the way on pitch. It's a little pitchy, dog. Yeah, I mean, I do think that this is part of the meme culture of this. I don't know if it's aware that they're contributing to the meme, <laughs> but like this is definitely memeing. This is ripe meme fodder. Wow. So uh, the the memeiest. Thing I have seen from from Toto's Africa is how I want to go out today, which is a band called the Floppatron. Side note: If you Google Toto Africa meme, there's over a million results. Oh fuck! Really? <laughs> yeah. That's ups- that's so upsetting. <laughs> so this is the entirety of Toto's Africa played on old timey floppy disks. What does that even mean? You'll see. Wow. So that's all for this week. Find us on Instagram at Lyrics for Lunch and Twitter at Lyrics for Lunch. And for longer and weirder stuff, you can shoot us an email at lyricsforlunch at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review our podcast, tell your friends, and subscribe. And what's that podcast (laughs) called? Lyrics for Lunch. Hey, and tune in next week when I will be back in the driver's seat, I think, talking about... Maybe the Beach Boys and also Ronald Reagan. There's your little there's your little hint. Oh my god. 
you thought it was just going to get lighter and more fun, but it's just going to get weirder and worse. Yep, going to get weirder and worse. We're going to talk about... <laughs> so yeah, uh, Beach Boys and Ronald Reagan. But this is going to be p- potentially the most fun we'll ever have talking about Ronald Reagan, I think, maybe. Oh, okay. So until next time, I am Aviv Rubenstein. I'm Lindsay Tucker. Blessing the rains wherever you are. We're out.